Awesome. I'm excited to be here. It's summertime, guys. I know it's not officially, but it feels like it, which is awesome. I'll take it. So I'm super excited to be here with you. I feel like, um, I don't know, I just feel different. So I'll tell you why. Because the last couple months, actually, I've been doing, started a series in Avon Lake on the book of Revelation. Yeah, I know. Um, Which is interesting. I heard just yesterday, I was listening to a teacher, and they said that people that are going to theological seminaries, ministry schools, to be licensed to preach and to get their ministry degrees, they only get like a few hours worth of eschatology. If you don't know, eschatology is the teaching of the end times. And how many think we need to be better equipped? right? <laughs> to know what is going on, because all you have to do is look out that door to know that, and to feel the end times. Um, so I just felt compelled to start in Revelation. And the crazy thing is, is that, you know, the first chapter, you're good. Second chapter, you're good. Third chapter, you're doing okay. It's the ones after that <laughs> that I'm like, okay, Holy Spirit, you're going to have to take my hand and walk me through because there's so much out there and so much controversy and there's so many different ways of interpretation. And I'm just going to sit with Jesus, right? And obviously listen to um, the wisdom that we've been given. So Tonight, I'm going to talk about the seven churches of Revelation, and you're going to hear about Sardis, because that's what I preached on Sunday, so I'm sorry if you listened to it, Um, but every church, I have felt like I was sitting in the middle of the church. I felt like God was speaking to me specifically, and he's still speaking in this message, so when I sat down, I was going to either give you Thyatira or Sardis. Now, how many of you know Thyatira is a rough one, because he talks about Jezebel, which was really good, and it really spoke to me and challenged me not to be Jezebel, and I'll just share a little bit. Holy Spirit told me, do you want to be radical, or do you want me to call you Jezebel? And I said, okay, I'll be radical all day long. <laughs> I don't care who calls me radical I would, or extreme or overboard, right? I don't care. I'd rather you call me radical than Jesus call me Jezebel. So anyways, Thyatira was good. It was kind of rough. I had to postpone it because it was supposed to fall on Mother's Day. So I couldn't preach that on Mother's Day. Um, anyways, let's move on. So Sardis is um, a city... South of Thyatira, we're going along the Romans Road, and I have a map there if you want to put that map up. There's a, there's, um, here we go, right here. It's around the Romans Road, and Sardis is right there. It was the old ancient kingdom of Lydia. So you're going to get a little bit of history, because knowing the history really helps you understand the word a lot better. Um, So first, history. And first of all, let me go back to John. So this letter was given through a vision to John. And John was on the island of Patmos. And you will see there's like this cave, this white cave picture. And that, nope, there's one more I think. Yep, this one. That is actually called the Cave of the Apocalypse. 
and you can visit that on the island of Patmos. But they believe that's where John was when he received his visions. He was exiled there. He was a prisoner there on this island. But he had a lot of time with the Holy Spirit, you know? So this is where he, he received this message about Jesus. And remember, the apocalypse really means a revelation of Jesus. You know, that word, we've come, we've come to fear that word, the apocalypse. Really, that means a revealing of Jesus. So let's go back to Sardis. The Sardis believers, just to give you um, a glimpse into what we're going to be talking about today, it was a strong warning from Jesus. Strong warning. The Sardis believers compromised the distinctiveness of Christ. They watered down the truth and chose the inclusive response to the culture around them. So Sardis could have been called the get-along church. Their goal was just to get along, right? And it's interesting that Sardis really wasn't persecuted. Jesus didn't say, I see, your, I see what you're going through. I see you're being persecuted. No, they weren't persecuted. Why? Because there's no reason to be persecuted. Everything was okay. We're all good. We're friends. We can get along with everybody, right? That's what Sardis. So Sardis was a wealthy city in the ancient Persian kingdom of Lydia. The city was about 30 miles of Thyatira. You saw that on the map. Um, 50 miles east of Smyrna. The city was located on the banks of the Pactolus River. It became a Greek and Roman city during the time of the letter, and it had a huge Roman gymnasium. And that was that picture that they showed up there. Yep, that one right there. That gymnasium, it's still there. The artifacts are still there. They had a bath, which would have been our modern-day swimming pool. And there was a lot of celebrations, competitions. There was a lot of athletic challenges, you know, that they would take part in, and a lot of nudity because the Romans idolized the body. You remember all those statues that we've seen? There was also a temple of Artemis. Artemis, okay? And every city we saw throughout the Romans' road had a main god or goddess that they worshipped. And Artemis was the main idol of the city of Sardis, including emperor worship, because they always had to give their allegiance to the current emperor. But it was a part of their daily life. So Artemis is significant. She's also the Greek-Roman version of Ishtar or Inanna. So it's just, it's the same devil reappearing as a goddess. It's the same spirit it's reappearing throughout the ages. And you'll see that Artemis is still around Today, Artemis is still around today. So a little bit about Artemis. Um, Artemis had both male and female priests and priestesses. And it was a big deal for the males to dress like women and be castrated in order to show their devotion to the goddess. I hope there's no little kids in here. But it's, it was a real thing. The men priests would dress like women to show their homage to the goddess Artemis. 
The history of Artemis goes way back so that it would be impossible to share everything right now, but you can see it reappearing in Pride Month that starts tomorrow. Because way back then, before our current Pride Month, the month of June was dedicated to Artemis so that she could go and possess people to confuse their gender for men to like men and women to like women. You see how Artemis is still around. The spirit of the enemy is still wreaking havoc in our day. So when we talk about these things, realize that I'm not coming from a political standpoint. I'm coming from a spiritual standpoint because it's all spiritual. So the wealth of Sardis, let's go into that. So have anybody remember the, the story, the Midas touch? That everything Midas touched turned to gold, right? Well, this, this myth came from Sardis and King Midas who lived up the river in a kingdom up the river um, to Sardis. And like you know, he had asked for a blessing from the gods and the gods gave him a blessing that everything he touched would turn to gold. Well, it didn't turn out really well when it was his food because then he couldn't eat and he was hungry. And then he went out to the garden and he touched the roses and they all turned to gold. And then his daughter was sad and upset because her roses were gold. Were gold. And she came in and he went to hug her and his daughter turned to gold. So he begged the gods to get rid of this blessing and the gods told him to go in the river, Pactolus, and wash the blessing off. Now we obviously know this is a myth and they told the story to explain why Sardis had so much gold in their river. So Sardis was a rich, wealthy city because of all this gold in the river of Pactolus. I think I'm saying that right, but... Um, so we see that their wealth was really famous, and it was actually the first city that actually made gold coins. Isn't that interesting? So King Croesus made gold coins and used it first as currency. And he was so proud of his grand, secure city he had built. And he thought it was impenetrable because of the walls that were so high on top of the Acropolis. And the Acropolis is just a place, a fortified place on top of a hill so that you can see your enemy coming. So it was a more secure place. Um, and so not many armies, we'll see there was only a few that were able to take the city, um, were able to take Sardis. So let's get into the book of Revelation. Are you ready? That was a little bit of the history of Sardis. So we're in Revelation 3, verses 1 through 6. That's the letter to Sardis. And each letter introduces the sender a different way. So Jesus represents himself and introduces himself in a unique way to each of the churches. And it's very, very significant. This time he presents himself, and we'll see in verse 1. It says, The one, write down my words and send them to the messenger of the church in Sardis. These are the words of the one who has the seven spirits of God, the perfect spirit, the one who holds the seven stars, I know the things you do. You've claimed a reputation, or some versions say a name of life, but you are actually dead. 
man, he did not hold back and he did not wait until the first couple verses, right? Did he? But look at verse, look at the first part of the verse. He presents himself as the one who has the seven spirits of God, the perfect spirit. Now, if you want to look into that, that's in Isaiah 11, 2 and 3. We're not going to get into that um, tonight, but it's really, really amazing. And I love that scripture verse and how it ties together. But the important thing here is, is that Jesus is saying, I am perfect. Jesus is presenting himself to the church at Sardis and says, I am perfect. And if you know anything about the Bible and the numbers of the Bible, seven means perfect. Seven means completeness. Seven means wholeness. So we see Jesus saying, I am the one that has the seven spirits of God, the perfect spirit, the one who holds the seven stars. So he's explaining to them that I'm enough. I'm complete. I am whole, right? There's nothing missing, nothing lacking in me. Jesus is saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no one else, (laughs) right? That's what he's saying. I am perfect doctrine. I am perfect theology. He said, nothing adds to me. Nothing is taken away from me. Jesus is saying, I am it. And this church had lost this understanding. This church forgot that Jesus was enough. And Jesus was presenting himself as this to remind them. And he says, I know you. In that verse, he says, I know you. I know the things you do. You have a name. You have a reputation of life. You are known for being alive, right? But you are actually dead. Isn't that scary? Because Sardis didn't know they were dead. They thought they were living. They had a name. It was their reputation. They thought they were all okay. Like I said before, the church wasn't persecuted. They didn't have tribulation. They actually really had an easy life, a wealthy life. And there was really no reason for tribulation. They didn't cause problems. They were the tolerant church. They were the inclusive church. Probably affirming, right? Like the churches we see today. And there's actually archaeological evidence for this. And this is so interesting. So then Christianity was just a Jewish sect. So it was like a branch of the Jewish religion, right? And the Jewish religion was a legal religion recognized by the government. So if you look back into the archaeological finds of Sardis, you see this picture here of this Jewish altar. They found this. But what was interesting is that there's a Roman eagle on the Jewish altar. Isn't that interesting? And then next to it, you see more Roman animals. And then they found, next to the synagogue, a list of names. The names that, of the people that belonged to the synagogue. But they were written in Greek. 
And if you know anything about the Jewish culture, you know their names are very important to them. Even think about Daniel. When Daniel and Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, which are not their real names, (laughs) they were given names in Babylon, but they cherished their Hebrew names. They saved them. They would speak to themselves in their special names. But this church listed their names in Greek. There was some mixture going on. There was some conformity going on. There was some get along going on, right? They had become so acclimated to the Roman and Greek cultures that they just went with the flow to keep the peace. It was easier to keep the peace and include culture into their beliefs and life. We can believe in Jesus. The pagans can believe in their gods. And the Jews can believe the Messiah is still coming. Oh, let's just be tolerant and inclusive and open and affirming. And while we're at it, let's all agree to work on a common problem like climate change. I know I'm going to get somebody mad at me. But we got to scramble to find something that we can come together with, right? And that's what's happening. The problem is, is that this is not who Jesus is. It's not now and it was not then. In Luke 12, 51 and 52, it says, Do you think I've come with a nice little message of peace? Jesus said this. He said, no way. Believe me, my message will divide. It will not bring churches together. It will not bring a one world religion. It will not bring... Oh, I could... Let me just stop for a second. Okay. It says, it will divide a household of five into three against two or two against three. Jesus was clearly not concerned with our temporary peace and comfort. He came to set the record straight. He came to destroy the works of the enemy. And he will confront the churches who are seeking to all get along. He will confront them with truth. Because these churches are dangerous. If we are inclusive, if we are open, if we are affirming, we are dangerous. Why are we dangerous? Because we're sacrificing our authority in Christ when we refuse to tell the truth. And Paul told Timothy this would happen in 2 Timothy 3, 5. He said, they would be holding on to a form of outward godliness and religion, although they have denied its power, for their conduct nullifies their claim of faith. Avoid such people and keep far away from them. Why do we have no authority in the church? I believe it's because we're adding too much. We're holding on to too much of the culture. We're being too compromising. We're, being, we're getting along a little bit too well. <laughs> How many of you guys know Charles Finney, the history of Charles Finney? He was a founding father in America. He had the biggest church right there in Oberlin, north of Church on the North Coast in Lorraine. 
And I've talked about him a lot because when I was youth pastor, <laughs> we would take all the teenagers and we'd go over to Oberlin and we'd walk around the square and we'd tell the story of Charles Finney. Charles Finney was so powerful. He would, he would set up a tent and see thousands come to salvation. There were stories where he would walk into a factory and without even opening his mouth, people would start weeping and falling on their knees and repentance in a factory. He helped start Oberlin College, which was the first college that had ever admitted um, women, right? Or African-American people or the Underground Railroad. That city is famous for that. He was a powerful, powerful revivalist. But when we took those kids there, I took them to the church, and it's still there. He has Finney Chapel, and then he has the church that he actually pastored. It's called First Church. If you go to the website, it's so disheartening because now his church wants a huge revival epicenter in Ohio is now gender-affirming. Green justice warriors, Right? They're more worried about someone's feelings than they are where they will spend eternity. We can't worry about people's feelings more than we worry about their eternity. We have to tell the truth, amen? We can't deny the exclusivity of Jesus because when we do, we deny his power to save, heal, and deliver. And this is a huge announcement tonight. Do you know that when Jesus went to heaven, he told you to go save, heal, and deliver? And how can we do that if we're not telling the truth? How can we do that if we're compromising and we're trying to get along with culture who is clearly following false gods? John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, there's his exclusiveness. No one comes to the Father but by me. There's an Abrahamic family house set up in the Middle East right now. And it's a huge complex, all in the name of getting along. There's a mosque a synagogue, and a Catholic church, all in a circle with a garden in the middle, right? And their goal is to worship together, respecting one another. But what does that do to the message of Jesus? It nullifies it. It voids it out. It kills the message. And that's what Jesus said. You're dead. You've killed the message. Jesus is exclusive. He's it, the only way. The Bible is not open to our personal preference. I knew that was going to happen. I'm used to a table in Avon Lake. That's okay. I just have too much stuff up here. The Bible is not open to our personal preference, is it? Or our personal revelation. It's the truth. Verse 2 says, wake up from your death sleep and strengthen what remains of the life you have been given that is in danger of death. Jesus said, you have, you have life left in you. 
Find it and strengthen it. Stand up straight, right? Clean out the garbage and hold fast to what you do have. He said, I've judged your deeds as far from complete in the sight of my God. That he's referencing again to his completeness, to his wholeness, right? He's saying, you are far from complete, but you can get back. You can come back to me. Therefore, remember what you have received and heard, and it's time to keep these instructions and turn back from your ways. And if you don't wake up from your sleep, I will come in judgment. So Jesus is warning them. He's saying, I'll creep up on you like a thief, and you will have no way of knowing when I come. This is so good. Jesus is saying your sleeping is putting you in danger. Your sleeping is putting you in danger. I believe what he's speaking to us here is about our doctrine, our beliefs, our foundation. We all stand on a foundation, what we believe, right? Do you know what you believe? Do you know what our church believes? Do you know the doctrines of our faith? It's time to go back. It's time to go back and learn what you profess so that when false lies come in, you can stand strong and say, oh no, I know the truth. Let me tell you the truth. Let me declare the truth to my family, to my children, because there will come a time when truth is challenged. You know, we used to have these old Foundations of Faith videos. Anybody remember those? I think you guys helped us do those. Well, Dr. Summerall actually teached them, and we would put them on the video, and people would watch them, and he would tell us what we learned, what we believed, and what we knew, and he was a powerful, powerful man of God. The videos were a little boring. You know, they didn't have the graphics and the music and all of that, and so we'd, we'd have them before church on Sunday, and then people stopped coming. We'd have 10, then we'd have five, then we'd have one. We're like, okay, let's redo these. We're going to do CNC Grow, and we're going to put a cool tree, and we're going to do videos, and it's going to be nice, and we'll have, you know, some younger people and some easier topics. And so they, they, they worked for a little while. We had 10. We had five. We had one. People stopped coming. Then we said, you know what, we'll put it on YouTube. And then we'll give them the YouTube, and they can go home and watch it. Do you think they watched it? No. Okay, we'll do this. We'll have everybody at Life Group and we'll teach them the doctrine at Life Group over pizza and pop and candy. Yeah. We have to be hungry to know what we believe. We have to want our feet on a solid foundation. Because then and only then are we awake and not in danger. Matthew 7, 24, it says, Those people who are listening to me, those people who hear what I say and live according to my teachings, they are like the wise men who build their house on a rock and on a firm foundation. And we know the rest of the story. Those who didn't know or live according to the teachings of Jesus built their house on a sand. And what happened? The storm came, right? The enemy came and confronted the truth that they were trying to stand on. And they fell. 
And we see it happening on our right and on our left. Churches, denominations are falling. They're not telling the truth. They're dead. The thief has come in and he's stolen what remained of the truth. We have to go back to what we first learned. We have to strengthen what remains. We can't sacrifice truth for inclusivity. We can't shy away from truth to avoid persecution. So I preached this on Sunday in Avon Lake. And we spent time with family on Monday. And then Tuesday, we went to Cedar Point. So... I have this, I'm doing these little things. I'm just, it's not law. I'm listening to the Holy Spirit. I'm not condemning anyone who doesn't, doesn't do the same thing I'm doing. But me and my husband has, have this thing with Starbucks. It's just a principle thing, right? Like, I don't want to buy coffee from an organization. Okay. So I'm at Cedar Point. I'm leaving by myself. And I need a coffee. And if you know me, I love my coffee. And Starbucks is the only coffee at Cedar Point. I know. So I was like, you know what? I'm by myself. Adrian's not here. I'm just going to go grab a coffee. So I get in line. There's a long line. I get in line, and I'm like, oh, I know, Holy Spirit. Can I start this tomorrow? You know, I'm just like, I'm having this conversation. In line, this 13-year-old girl from Avon Lake Campus was in my message on Sunday morning. She said, Pastor Mary, all my friends at school hate me because I told them the truth about Taylor Swift and how she's preaching about or she's singing about the devil. And they all hate me now, and they're all talking about me now, and I don't know what to do. And I made a reel about it, and it went viral, and she's telling me all this, and I'm in line in Starbucks. And I'm like, all right, I'm leaving. Because <sighs> the Holy Spirit is moving. He wants obedience. Now, am I ever going to tell you not to go to Starbucks? No, I'm going to tell you to listen to Holy Spirit. Because he's going to tell you something that he doesn't tell me. And Dominic talked about it on Sunday when he talked about the Pentecost. The same day Holy Spirit came was the day the law was given. So guess what? You don't live by the law. You live by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? And he'll show you where you need to strengthen what remains. Jesus was warning of judgment, and the people of Sardis knew exactly what he was referring to. He said, if you don't wake up, I will come like a thief. And in the history of Sardis, remember that big wall? That wall right there. Where is it? There we go. So this is one of the sides of the mountain up on top of the Acropolis would have been on top of it. And this wall was impenetrable. No armies could take it. And this, the king was getting really, really haughty thinking that he was going to be safe, right? So they would go around the city and they would try to lay siege to the Acropolis so that they could get to them. Well, one day, a soldier was sitting on top of the wall and his helmet fell and he climbed down and went through one of the cracks in the foundation to get his helmet and the enemy saw it. Enemy knows where our cracks in our foundation are. 
All he has to do is hang out long enough to see us compromise, to see that door open just a little bit, right? And that morning, the city of Sardis woke up to the Persian army in their midst, and they took the city. This is why the city of Sardis knew what Jesus was saying. They knew that he was making personal reference about the cracks in their foundation and letting the enemy come in. Okay, verse 4, it gets a little bit happier. It says, but there are a few in Sardis who don't have the stain of evil works on their clothes. They will walk alongside me in white spotless garments because they have been proven worthy. Jesus again separates the sheep from the goats. And he says, there is always a remnant. Can you guys say amen? Say, I am the remnant, right? There's always a remnant. Those who have not brushed up against culture to be defiled those who are willing to come out from among them and be separate, to walk beside him. You know, I was reminded tonight, the 7,000 who had not bowed their knee before Baal. I have to read you the scripture verse because it's so good. It says, nevertheless, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel. Remember the number seven? 7,000, those complete ones, the ones with the whole truth. It says, I have not, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Oh my gosh. What have we gotten so in love with in this culture that we just can't give that up? That's my music. Don't touch my music. Right? Oh, come on, it's just a pair of shoes. Verse 5, the one who conquers through faithfulness, even unto death, will be clothed in white garments. And I will certainly not erase that person's name from the book of life. I will acknowledge this person's name before my father and before his heavenly messengers. That's a powerful verse. But did you know in those ancient cities, there were actually book of, book of lives? Books of life? <laughs> there was books of life in these ancient cities. And there was a book of the dead. Because they wanted to keep track of who was awarded the benefits of culture and society. Who was able to to act out their citizenship, right? Their authority of being a kingdom citizen. Criminals, when they made um, mistakes, they would often be blotted out of the book of life and sent into exile. Like, you can't take part in this city anymore. And Jesus is saying, wake up. Take part in my kingdom. Walk in the authority that I have given you. Don't just waste it away. Jesus is saying, I want to announce you as a citizen of God's kingdom. All the benefits, all the authority of a kingdom of heaven bestowed on us now. 
Because if Jesus is called to destroy the works of the enemy, how is he doing it? He's doing it through me. He's doing it through you. And if you can't walk in, your, in his authority, how are you going to destroy the works of the enemy? In verse 6, it says, Let the person who is able to hear, listen to, and follow what the Spirit proclaims to all the churches. Again, this verse reminds me that this message was for Sardis. And for the church age, it was probably referencing the time of the Reformation. But it is for sure right now. It's for sure for me. I'm amazed at the, how the Holy Spirit is speaking so clearly with our current events even. You know, I was going to show a house in the south of Oberlin, and I turn and I look at Charles Finney's church, and there's just plastered, you know, just the rainbow and everything all over it. And it's like, oh, Jesus. And then the Target fiasco, right? You've seen that in the news. In my shoes, if you guys follow me on social media, Holy Spirit told me, he's like, look at your feet, girl. You got shoes that have been compromised by the goddess Artemis. And I know I'm radical, but I love you for calling me radical because I would rather call, right? I'd rather be called radical than Jezebel. The Sardis believers compromised the distinctiveness of Christ. They watered down the truth and chose the inclusive response to the culture around them. We don't want to be the get-along church on the North Coast, do we? I'm going to close with one scripture verse. It's found in Acts 4.12. screen for that one. I'm sorry. Oh, look at you. You guys are awesome. This is a better version for this scripture anyways. So, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It is only Jesus. It's only Jesus. There's no other name no other name. And as I preached this on Sunday, there was a gentleman that sat in, my, in the Avon Lake campus. And he works for a large telecommunication company. Large. And he showed me his phone. He said, Mary, look at the name of our internal AI program. Artemis. And it's not a coincidence, because other programs in this organization, Moloch, Apollyon, see, we want to we brush it off and go, oh, it's just political. Oh, that's just politics. It's spiritual. The enemy is coming to kill, steal, and destroy. And we have to choose to be the 7,000 that never bowed our knee to Baal. And what that looks like for you, 
Holy Spirit will show you. Amen. Can you stand up with me? Thank you, Jesus, that you are truth. You are the complete one. You are the one with the seven spirits of God holding the seven stars in your hand. You are saying that you are enough. And so, Jesus, we build our foundation on you, the solid rock. And we will not compromise to just get along. We will not put down, God, what we believe to make other people feel good. But we will love with truth. We will stand strong in the face of persecution or adversity. We will not compromise for convenience, but God, we will choose to never, ever bow our knee or kiss Baal. We are devoted to you. We are your children. We are your remnant, Jesus. So take our lives and help us to walk in the authority that you paid for. We thank you for your blood. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your grace that covers us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Well, you are welcome to just worship tonight, and I'm sure that if there's a need for prayer, there's so many of us that would love to pray with you. As we close, I think Dion's going to sing us out, right? Live right, love everybody, and pray hard.